every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey everyone, welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Stefan Dubois, the CEO of Pointer Pro, an assessment software platform that helps professional service companies automate their advisory process. He is actually joining us from Belgium. So Stefan, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. This is actually our second international show. We had uh, someone who recorded in Ireland. So uh, I'm excited. This is our first adventure into Belgium. So I appreciate you jumping on. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So for our conversation, I'm going to be drinking a Stone Tangerine Express Hazy IPA. So I've been, I'm a big Hazy IPA guy. So I've been drinking these. So we'll give it a rating at the end. Now, you know, you're sort of in the mecca of uh, of beer over there in, in Belgium. So what are you going to be sampling today? Yeah, I'm having a. Um, it's called Angel. Um, it's called Angel. It's yeah, it translates to Angel in uh, English. Ah. And, uh, like it's. I mean, you have uh, in Belgium here. You have these microbreweries. Yeah. Where people can like, yeah, experiment with different recipes, and then um, until they have found what what they what they like, and then they can produce it in in small batches. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's one of these um, that was, uh, yeah, like uh, given to me by by friends. Oh, I love uh, it. So, what? Well, uh, cheers, cheers. Great, to, great to meet you. Um, all right. So, for our conversation, I, I obviously always want to start with tell me a little bit about your company and what it is that you guys do. Yeah, our company is uh, Point of Pro, um, and we um, we make assessment software um, for professional services um, companies. And those companies use us um, to automate their advisory process. Yeah. So we've seen that in professional service companies, most like back office uh, processes are already pretty um, automated. Like for example, uh, invoicing and timesheets and stuff like that. Yeah. But the, the actual delivery of advice to um, to the customer is done mostly um, manually. Yeah. Because it's considered as a non-repetitive process, mm-hmm. um, which is not always true. Um, and we try to um, to automate also that process um, with our software. And of course, I mean, the, the higher objective is to enable those companies um, to scale um, without always uh, increasing their headcounts, what we call non-linear uh, growth, so yeah. that you can grow um, faster than, than your headcount. That's a bit the holy grail um, for those type of companies. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I definitely want to get into that headcount issue because I know that, that that resonates with a lot of people. But how did you start the business? Where did the idea come from? Yeah, the idea um, came from something different. Uh, it was only afterwards that we pivoted um, into um, what what we are now. Um, so I'm basically an engineer by um, as as an educational background, and I worked in consulting for um, over fifteen years. Okay, but then like in large scale um, software implementation projects like SAP and and the likes. And so always um, dealing with enterprise software at, at uh, large uh, companies. But then at a certain moment, I wanted to yeah, create something myself, create my own product and also own company to um, to bring that product to the market. So I started experimenting with um, 
with new technologies. Well, back back then it was twelve years ago, and those were like um, like cloud technologies and and like uh, online um, applications that yeah. was uh, pretty new then. Um, and um, yeah, I started by um, making a quiz app, um, which was uh, then for the first time used at the birthday party of my daughter. <laughs> um, so that was nice. It was also when the iPad was still very new. Okay. Um, so people took the quiz on the iPad and there was like pictures and, and videos and audio snippets and everything. I mean, that was like a, a very engaging. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so the quiz app um, uh, that uh, evolved then in a, like the previous name of our company was Survey Any Place. Okay. Like uh, next to quiz, we, uh, we also did then um, we started to do surveys, which is technically not that different. And then um, we launched, um, when was it, like in uh, September 2012, so already some time ago, um, mainly surveys. And then back then, our like our like uh, value proposition was um, to um, to make the experience of the respondents uh, like better than the other tools uh, would, would provide. Like the other tools were back then mostly um, focused on yeah, more research, academic yeah. data, uh, res- like uh, data collection tools. Uh, and we wanted to uh, give the um, respondent a better experience by um, interactivity, gamification, and so on. And and by doing that, also collecting better and more data. So that was the going in position. So this all started as a as a quiz app for yeah, your exactly. daughter's birthday. Yeah. So yeah, when yeah. did you realize, hey, wait a second, this is actually a business idea? How how long did that transformation sort of take? Yeah, that was not one single moment. Um, we put a quiz app on on the internet. We called it tabletquiz.com. Uh-huh. And back then, and then, I mean, that was basically an application where everybody could uh, make a quiz uh, for the iPad or for other devices. Ah. Then it starts to lift off. Um, also, we got some interesting customers, was no users because it was still a free app um, from the US, for example, but also from companies, larger companies who used it at HR events. Ah. Um, and then we start to realize, I mean, there can be something uh, here. And then we uh, took also the surveys and then, yeah, we... Uh, took the risk to um to um to quit our job and then uh, start a company basically so what what type of firms hire you and what type of assessments do they use your company for yeah now it's a bit different so back then it was like surveys and it was more like customer satisfaction surveys so okay we all know that um we all have had that uh, those emails in our inbox and probably never <laughs> <laughs> never use them for sure <laughs> i always ignore those never responded to the survey yeah um but okay, so that was back then, but then like in 2019, so uh, uh, yeah, a lot of years later, um, we decided to switch to the assessments. It was also technically not that different, but uh, you still have the questionnaire, but the output of the questionnaire with the responses to the, are used to generate personalized advice um, for the respondents. Yeah. Okay. Um, for example, if you have financial uh, assessment or questionnaire yeah if you ask like do you want to take a lot of risk or not a lot of risk with your investments you, you could say like if the answer is a lot of risk then the advice is uh, invest in the stock market if the answer is not a lot of risk then invest in bonds ah. i mean this is a really um simple example but this like this logic can be built in in our tool or can yeah. customers can configure it in our tool without technical knowledge and also the advice report um, which is often more than one single advice, like in the example, of course, but the advice report can be um, set up in our tool, like with nice branding and 
like just as it i mean just as it was written by um by an expert or, or consultant oh so well, that's, that's um, so that's what we do now so basically i take an assessment let's say you know i take this risk profile and i get a certain score and it comes back and says this is how you should invest your money and gives you advice based off of the responses to the to the questions exactly yeah huh that's fascinating but yeah so we are only the software tool so the, the the expertise like i mean which questions you have to ask for for that kind of financial assessments or which advice you, you have to give yeah these are that's all expert expertise of our customers and we we don't generate that you just so build it just, for them based off of their yeah well they can build it in self-service in our tool yeah um but if they if they don't want we can also build it for for them and then, then there's a service charge of course oh that's very interesting so I would imagine it's going to be places like uh, financial advisors, investment people, uh, accountants, and attorneys. Is that who, who's utilized? Yeah, it's quite. It's it's like those use it, but um, it's like broader. It's um, uh, consultants, HR consultants, um, but also um, yeah, like cybersecurity agencies or. Um, but even like AstraZeneca uses it for um, automating medical advice. Uh, oh wow! People who have uh, asthma. Um, they can um, answer a couple of questions about their symptoms, and then they are um, categorized into high risk, medium risk, or low risk with this, with some uh, recommendations. And then they can take that to their um, doctor. Um, if if they have high risk, they are recommended to go to the doctor. Otherwise, they they don't have to go to the doctor. That's that's pretty amazing. So th- when you when you talk about how this is how you teach people to automate their expertise, this is how you help them do yeah, it. Exactly. Oh wow, that that really is interesting to to be able to do that. I mean, that certainly would play in in my world too, where there's there certain things that could be, you know, I, I, we always use the ter- term sort of like automated personalization, where if you can create processes and systems to be able to handle things that don't necessarily need a ton of analysis from a, uh, you know, from from a team of advisors or from a team of investment people, um, that that might be a, a really good utilization of of this sort of uh, automation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we also have um, to stay in the financial um, sector. We also have uh, like it, it's a US um, customer of us who has the website freefinancialplan.com. Okay, so free freefinancialplan.com. It's a, like he used to work in private banking. Yeah, where I mean, you need um, I don't know to to, to become a client, you need to, like one million dollar or euro like um, uh, assets. Yeah, and otherwise you cannot get in but he has made uh, like an assessment which is um enabling like people with with less money um but still worth um uh, the investment uh, so to say and um, to to go on the site and to take the financial adv- assessment and to get personalized advice on what they should do but of course this advice is um uh redirecting um, them to um yeah to certain of the, uh, the services that he's offering or his partners are offering yeah that's really interesting. I'm going to have to check that out now. Yeah. Um, so you spent 15 years doing because you, you know you you have a background as an engineer, but you also did 15 years in consulting. How has the the world of consulting helped you as a business owner and shaped your opinions as a business owner? Yeah, I didn't realize it on on at the moment itself, or yeah, maybe not not as I do now. Yeah, but the consulting world. I mean, I learned a lot and I had a fantastic time. Uh, I think. Um, I would still advise like young people um, to go for consulting because you can learn a lot um, in short uh, in a short time frame. You can 
work at different uh, clients. You can work at the client and both internally also in, in the consulting company. Um, so that's, I mean, uh, you, you learn fast. And, and then, I mean, you can always, um, by seeing different clients, you can also see where you want to go in your professional career because you see different aspects of, of businesses. Yeah. So that's still very good, I think, about consulting. And um, but what I've seen also is that um, we, we always focused on like large scale projects with like lots of mandates, like thousands or ten thousands of mandates, and these large scale projects. Um, and yeah, because we were billing most of the time like time and material, um, so by by day or like our worked, um, there was no incentive to um to really um apply efficiency improvements yeah when when i would as a consultant go to my boss and say okay this uh, project's from like it's 1000 mandates and i have some magic technologies that, that i can use to reduce it to 500 mandates yeah i would say mm, that's maybe not a good idea because i mean that means half of the revenue for me um so um it, it's something um weird that as long as the customer is ready to pay it of course because i mean that, that's the um, the condition yeah then there is no incentive to really work on 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 efficiency improvements on on yeah just if you have done like five times certain projects to yeah to think about what you've learned from it and how we can do it better and faster i mean to a certain extent it happens but it was always um like yeah secondary um but i see now there's a fundamental of obsession on client work and when you want to work like on the internal business on improve that was totally neglected like when when we would have a client meeting when we would have an internal meeting and you have a client meeting then there was always the client meeting was always a good excuse to to shift the internal meeting because the client was <laughs> always more important which yep. is understandable from a certain point of view but um it results in that there's never time left just take a step back and to see what are we doing now here and how we can, can we improve. We have done five times the same project at, at different clients, same type of project. How we can, can we improve? How can we um, apply efficiency improvements? And I'm not talking only about the product that we make now, but all kinds of, of improvements. Yeah. Well, I feel like the best, especially in the consulting world, uh, uh, the best advice comes sort of at like the intersection between utilizing technology efficiently and you know, human interaction and 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 personal uh, advice, and it seems like that's kind of where you're living too. Yeah, we think that, of course, when we say like automating advice, and we often hear the the comment like, I mean, our projects are too complex and cannot be automated yeah. because every every time it's different. And I mean, I take it it's it's certainly. It, it was the case also when when I was in, in consulting and not everything can can be automated. I'm not saying that, but you first have to look for the um, yeah more transactional advice, which has to be given like yeah, multiple times. Sure. And also in the beginning of the project, yeah, because in the beginning of the project, there is like lots of data collection. Yeah. And to translate that in a first set of advice, let's say, and that is the first candidate um, to be um, to be automated. We often call it um, like a diagnostic or a scan or um, an as-is um, evaluation or and you can, I mean, if you combine it with your specialization and you can call it a legal scan, um, uh, business development scan, uh, cybersecurity yeah. scan. I mean, yeah, a cybersecurity company that 
approaches you to um to sell their business um to to, to your uh, company i mean that's a good thing that they say okay we do a can be free or not free you can discuss about it but we do a cyber security scan and we will see where you are against the benchmark and where you can improve and then you can still see whether you do it with our company or, or with another company or not at all yeah but at least um, we give you that information i'm interested in how many questions is too many for an assessment i feel like you know some of these things could probably get overly complicated for when they probably shouldn't be is there sort of like a a good number where you should have an assessment that's eight questions or 20 questions or where where is that where is the sweet spot in there i think when it's uh, lead generation it depends on the like the the the, the, the relationship right. that you already have with the customer with the prospect if it's a prospect so not yet a customer yeah. just to lead generation to have a teaser can be 10 to 15 questions and then yeah the challenge or is to with as few as possible questions to collect as much as possible information yeah um so for example for the cybersecurity, we are working with a company that has um two assessments so one the these are like for um for, for prospects yeah um just to um to learn them something but but not give give away everything and, and also by at that moment in the relationship, the, the customer is not um, or the prospect is not ready to spend time to answer one of those questions. Right. But then once once they are client, of course, and then you are inside the project, and then um, they um, they are able to to spend um, the time because they know. I mean, the information will be used um, for. Um, I mean, to to to. I mean, to to, to give them better advice to improve. Um, so then you can ask more questions. Uh, like in the case of a cybersecurity assessment, it's like. Yeah, often 50 uh, to 100 questions. Uh, oh, wow. Um, yeah, you can do things to um, to make it a bit more digestible. Eh? You can, for example, already give some advice like in between the questions or yeah. make it a bit more um, conversational. Um, yeah, that, that is possible. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, so you were able to bootstrap your way to $3 million of recurring revenue. Uh, how did you do that? What was the process that you you took for your business to be able to do that? Yeah, I wish there was a magical process that um, <laughs> was uh, like uh, on beforehand, uh, like engineered uh, to um in all detail. But that that's not the case. Um, so we started with like the surveys. Um, uh, the survey software was kind of uh, difficult because um, although I said like we we had the differentiation of making it more um like uh, interactive gamification stuff like that that meant also that we yeah we were used often by marketeers or sometimes market research but it's often campaign based mm -hmm. so they use it for one campaign for one project and then afterwards they stop using it it's not that good for um to have recurring revenue of course um then also a lot of competitors a lot of other um, survey and tools in the market so that was um Difficult. We survived uh, just by not spending too much money and, and to um, yeah, um, that's really the, the bootstrapping life. I think um, to to only spend what you um, what you can, uh, what you have, and and what you um, get as as an income from the customers. Um, yeah. But then, like afterwards, um, with the assessments, um, I think once you have a yeah real product market fit. Um, you have a software product that you can charge like several thousand dollars or euros per, per year, um, even sometimes 10 to 20,000 for, for the bigger ones. And you can sell it uh, online. Uh -huh. 
with low acquisition costs. Yeah. And there's not too much churn. So all these things have to be um, fulfilled. Um, yeah, then it's then the SaaS software business is not that capital intensive because right. also those um, those amounts, um, like the license fees are also paid on beforehand. Yeah. Also, when we do service, we do also like 15% of our business also services, but also that is paid on beforehand. Um, so once you have that product market fit and you have decent ticket sizes and not too much churn, then it's um, kind of easier. Yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. It's uh, I feel like recurring revenue is the golden goose that every business owner is in search of. Um, have you noticed, you know, in cl- dealing with clients, have you noticed any mistakes that you see common? amongst your, you know, maybe your clients or, or other um, colleagues that make it difficult for them to actually find a way to do the, to, to build recurring revenue? Yeah, I think in professional services, the mistake is to, um, yeah, to not specialize, um, huh. to, to try to do everything for everybody. Yep. Um, so you, you cannot... Yeah, do everything for everybody and then have also like uh, that's difficult to combine with, with like recurring revenue recurring revenue you have to have one specialization or or several can be several if you're like a larger company with, with many employees um and be um fact um like a trusted advisor um in in a certain domain be it like cyber security or supply chain management or legal or and even more um, specific, like, uh, for example, only legal for, I don't know, real estate brokers or for um, so like this sweet uh, niches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you are um, in that position, like, for example, our cybersecurity, if I look at it from ourselves as a client, our cybersecurity agency that works with us, I mean, it's not just one project. We are now like in ISO 2701 certification that's like a certain standard yeah um, that's a one-time project but afterwards there's always new um things in cybersecurity that um new threats or new um yeah things that we have to be protected from for sure um and um there's always <laughs> work. I mean, you always need a cybersecurity consultant so they, they can just um, charge recurring revenue with a nice offering towards us that says like it's almost an insurance um, by by taking them and by them have, they have to do pen testing. I mean that's like testing our software, but like with uh, um, yeah. specialized um, programmers, they have to do it every six months. Um, otherwise, it it's not valid anymore. So all these things um, make that I mean that is a good uh, service to um, for recurring for recurring income stream for them, but also in other. Um, like legal or like uh, other fields. Yeah. Um, you, you need, I mean, companies need trusted advisors in that domain. Right. Um, and, and it's not just one of, sometimes it's one of project, but like it's a sequence of one of project. It, it will, I mean, they will always need it if it's a core domain for their business, they will always need it. So that's a good candidate for recurring business. Yeah. that that I mean, you, you bring up the professional services. I always, every attorney or accountant that I talk to absolutely hates the billable hours life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always say it's, well, you have to pull the machine to generate revenue and you, you know, you you start every year at zero. Um, Hopefully some of your clients come back and, and, you know, redo whatever they need you to do, but it is a real difficult thing when you don't have that recurring revenue. I, I also think 
one difficult part from a business standpoint when you don't have recurring revenue is you have to be really cautious about investments. Sometimes you can't be too aggressive with reinvesting back in your business because you're not sure exactly what your recur- what your revenue is going to be projected for for the next year. So it makes things a little bit tricky. You know, when you have recurring revenue, you can say, all right, well, I'm going to make X amount of dollars of revenue per quarter. So that means this, this, and that. Uh, so I make that I think that that's an additional benefit to to yeah, indeed it's on. a longer term it uh, like it stimulates longer term uh, strategies. Yeah, I, I, that's a great way to put it. It really definitely stimulates longer term thinking. I agree. Well, you know, I'm interested in what we talked about to to kick off the show. So you know how you see firms increasing their revenue, but not necessarily their headcount. I think is a fascinating idea that that would you know I think one of the biggest expenses that most business owners are are faced with is is headcount. So can you talk a little bit about that? I think, I mean, digitization is, is an important ingredient, of course, and an important enabler. But before, like starting to digitize, you have to take a couple of other steps. So the first step I already said, like specialization, if you are still doing everything for everybody, then you, you have to stop doing that and just to focus on a number of uh, like uh, specialized what we call then service offerings, like yeah. uh, like just like a product, you like a service business as, as service offerings. That's step one. Then step two, I think, is um, to convert from um, from time material or to transition from time material billing to uh, to fixed price. Yeah. And I get it. I would only do time material billing when there is um, when you do something for the first time or when there is a lot of risk for you. So then you can stick to time material. But otherwise, when you have done a project over and over and uh, like again at different um, customers, you, you should be able to to know what the effort is that goes into it, what the typical deliver- deliverables are, and then offer a package uh, to to uh, like a fixed package for a fixed price to the customer who will also like it because I mean after all he also is then like it's less risk. Yeah, he knows what he um, will get and what he will pay for it. Yeah. So the second step then fixed price. Because if you don't do that, then digitalization will um, um, will just uh, yeah result in, in less revenue, and and that's it's not the intent, of course. So that's the second step. The, the third step is to make a model mm-hmm. um, about um, the business like performance of of your clients in each uh, in each um, of your service offerings. For example, I mean uh, like a digital marketing uh, company that. Uh, specialize for example email marketing for a certain industry like for lawyers or whatever um they can say um level zero in in email marketing is that you even don't collect emails from from your website visitors or prospects or whatsoever right. you don't collect emails like level one is that you collect emails level two is that you send out a newsletter and level three is that you send out newsletters but that, that they are segmented um, by um, by customer segments so that's the highest level i mean just very simple but sure. thinking about such a model and then when a new prospect comes in, also see where um, that prospect is on the on the maturity level. Um, that is something that a company should um, have, a professional company should have for each of his uh, service offerings. Yeah. So, and that's only step. And then you can start to digitize. Then you can put that model in a tool like ours or another tool um, and use it um, to, um, to do digital assessment. And then the tool will automatically say where you are in the model. And it will not only say, where you are in the model, but also say what you have to do to go to the next level or to improve. Ah, yeah. yeah. So that's and that's the difference between a descriptive model and a prescriptive model. So descriptive is only giving you your score maybe against the benchmark. And prescriptive is not only giving you the score, but also like advice on how to improve. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you're really saying you got to be super efficient with your systems and your processes that you have implemented throughout the business. And that can help you be more efficient, requiring you not to have to hire more people to sort of push the buttons to make things go. Is that kind of? Yeah, exactly. If you have the model, you put some of the advice of, of you as a consultant or your, your your employees, you put it in a digital asset. Yeah. And the digital assets, like does the work for you or some of the work i mean you still have but the transactional work is done for you um and then you can deal with the more strategic and value-added work um so for example the first intake is done via the questionnaire and the automatic advice via the reports and then the result of that advice that is given in the report can be discussed um, with the consultant and then it's just on how we are going to implement the advice um, rather than um, collecting data and, and just giving the first uh, the first um, high level advice. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Now I, I, have a, I have a kind of an interesting question. I've been listening to a podcast and they were talking about on this podcast about building software and how insanely difficult it is to build software and how much testing needs to go on and how much effort it is. And then they said, but once it's built, it's really easy to copy. Um, and they were using the the they were they were using Slack and Microsoft Teams as the centerpiece of this conversation. Uh, so, in your experience, how do you protect your software? You know, your intellectual property that you built and you spent years of your life. How do you protect that from being, frankly, copied or stolen? Yeah, there is not a lot of. Um, I mean, it's it's. Um... It's a closed sourced um, product, so it, it, it's not open source like some of the other products. Yeah. Um, so, um, which means that the, the the source code itself cannot be copied. But of course, someone can just become a client and reverse engineer it and yeah. then build the same thing or even better, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, um, so that's perfectly possible. We cannot do um, anything against that. I think, like uh, on on a, like an IP uh, kind of, um, uh, unless they would literally uh, copy our logo or, or or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but if they are smart enough not to do that, then um, you cannot do a, a lot against it. Only like the best, yeah, defense against that is, I think. Maybe not the functionalities as such, um, because yeah, they can copy that. That's true. Although, like, I mean, our product is quite extensive now. Yeah. So, um, you need, yeah, you need quite some budget to copy it. I mean, you you need quite some man hours or man days to to copy it. But okay, I mean, like a large company could do it. Yeah. Um. But then, um, there is our brands and our existing market and the. And investing more in the brand, what we um, certainly will do, um, is also um, yeah safeguarding you from being copied, or at least um, when you are copied, then uh, yeah the, the copy will not be perceived as trustworthy if you have invested heavily in your brand. Yeah. Um, also, if a, a larger company, um, which is like because we are now focusing on professional services, digitizing professional service. Yeah. Like if, if a company that's like uh, comes from another uh, domain has to make the switch to 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 that like focus group yeah uh, it's more difficult um for, for them um because uh, it is that's the special uh, already a big ship and to to turn a big ship is, is more difficult yeah that, that's that specialization you're talking about yeah, you, know, you yeah, have yeah, that yeah. specialization there so that helps uh, like sort of along those lines i'm interested in your thoughts on 
chat GPT and how that may affect your business in a positive or a negative way or at all? Yeah, I, I think it will certainly affect uh, the business. And I think um, for, um, I mean, we do a lot of marketing um, to, um, yeah, to, to attract uh, leads. And there's a lot of content marketing. Um, and I think, I mean, we have experimented with it. And I, I think it can certainly accelerate the uh, creation of content. Yeah. Um, but I think there's still a human touch to 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 apply the yeah, some some finishing uh, touches, so to say. Um, but yeah, if, if it can do seventy percent, and and human is only to do thirty percent, then I mean, of course, it's uh, like a, a huge gain. Yep. Um. So that's uh, in marketing. Um. For products itself, for our customers. Um. Yeah, we have to keep an eye on it. I've I've not see, seen it. Don't like um. Yeah. What we are. Yeah, the holy grail for my, for our customers is really to, yeah, something that would transform like static content, like a book, for example. Right. Transform it like a book of two hundred pages. Transform it in into a questionnaire of twenty pages, and then an advice report instead of two hundred pages of ten pages. Because you ask questions, the the algorithm will know what is important for you in 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 the book uh, using the answers. Yeah. Um. To do that fully automatically, that's not yet the case, but could be in the future. We have to keep an eye on it. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, so we're running out of time. Couple of uh, rapid fire questions to end it here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Super Bowl was yesterday here in the United States. Do you care? And did you watch it? No, I did not watch it. Um, we know it, but to be honest, I I don't know who won. <laughs> well, I'm a the, the team that lost is my like diehard team who I've been a giant fan for 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 all time. So, um, I'm, we're I'm in like a full depression today that they lost, but that's okay. I assume yeah, I know football is a, a very American thing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, what what's your favorite city that you've been to in the United States? Perhaps Miami. Oh, that's because um, that's yeah. a good pick. <laughs> I've I've not been in 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 all of of the the cities, of course, and so but. Uh, um, I think it's a good mix between uh, holiday and 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 work. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. how could you yeah. not like it? Yeah. Um, uh, what's your uh, What do you think the most underrated food is in Belgium? Underrated food, um, meaning one that like everyone talks about. So I'm I'm giving you a completely American bias here, right? So you're talking like beer and pretzels is what we think about when we think of like of Belgium. What's something that most Americans don't know that's incredible food to eat while you're there. I would say Gentse Watersoy. So that's um, something um, like chicken in a, in a sauce, um, oh. which is from Ghent. That's a, a city here in Belgium, which is uh, quite um, quite known here locally, but but not um, for the um, for the non-Belgians. Let's oh, say. I love so it. I that's awesome. Certainly recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a great one. Um, what's your favorite hobby outside of work? Um, kite surfing. Um, ah. So um, yeah, like to um, in summer here in Belgium, you can do uh, in winter. It's a bit cold, um, but then we go sometimes to uh, Spain or Morocco um, on holiday to um, yeah to do uh, a lot of kite surfing. That's awesome. I'm I'm actually uh, I would like to try, it, but I think I might be too afraid. Or uh, it's is it difficult to get up on that the first couple yeah, times to try. It looks more difficult than it is, I think. Um, huh. But the first times, um, you um, yeah, you have to go to a, to a learning curve and then like uh it it can be a hard but then once you 
yeah you 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 can do it then it's i mean it's like you um you ask yourself why did i struggle uh, in the beginning uh, yeah <laughs> and it's like a natural thing and so um and also once you can uh, once you master it you always um i mean you cannot i can if you don't do it for a year then and, and you go in the water again then you immediately uh um are um yeah it, it's no problem to uh to start again so um yeah don't unlearn it that's uh, well i would be afraid to get blown away by a gust of wind yeah that's um <laughs> <laughs> that's a legitimate fear <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Stefan, this was great. I really, I really enjoyed our conversation. So, tell everyone where they can find uh, some more information about you and your company. So, for myself, I'm, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so, you just can um, find me. So, my name is Stefan De Bois. You can always uh, connect to me, um, or if you want to exchange uh, experiences um, with listeners, um, very open to do that. Um, and then the company is PointerPro.com. Uh, and there you find, yeah, not only information about the product, but also some, um, yeah, content about uh, like digitization of professional services, some examples, some case studies, uh, and so on. Uh, one thing I thought was cool about your website is when you go to the About Us page, you guys have a professional picture, and then you know, like your hobby yeah. slash activity picture when it scrolls. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was a really cool touch, and uh, yeah. I really like that. It shows the personal side of who, who who's working with you. Yeah, that's true. The minus, minus with the kiteboard. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, great. Well, if you want to connect with me on the Untapped app, my username is brcarney7. To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. All right, moment of truth for Tangerine Express Hazy IPA. I'm a kind of a sucker for these. So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of five, which means I, I highly rated. I never give any beers for five. What What are you uh, going to rate yours? Um, let's taste them. Um... <laughs> yeah, it's a four, four out of five, I think. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, 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 I'm not uh, maybe um, we drink more wine than beer in Belgium, but um, I like a good uh, pint also. Oh, that's great. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great to, to, to meet you and, uh, Cheers to you. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.